Welcome to Multimillionaire Secrets in 30 Minutes. Today's guest is Angel Fernandez. He was a millionaire by age 23, retired by age 36, and the founder of Miami Gas To Go, Florida Propane Exchange, and Certified Propane Gas. He's also made millions of dollars investing in real estate and small business. He currently does a bit of business consulting and says that his best skills are contract negotiation, strategy, and overall business efficiency leading to higher profitability. What age did you become a millionaire and what were you doing? I became a millionaire at 23 years old. And although I raised the, it was through real estate, although I raised the funds to buy the real estate through a propane business that I started. How'd you start the propane business? I was working part-time at a propane company that my father owned. And I had an idea to deliver barbecue tanks to, uh, to local businesses in uh, South Beach. I'm from Miami, Florida. And um, I grew up from there from one customer up to ultimately 7,000 roughly customers. What is the strategy you use to go from one customer to 7,000 customers? Well, the strategy changed throughout the life cycle of the business. Uh, early on, it was as simple as, you know, door to door, knocking on doors, talking to people face to face and trying to explaining to them what the service was, which was relatively new and not, not many people were aware that they could get propane gas delivered at that time. And um, as the business grew, it, it grew through uh, marketing material, which would be flyers that we sent through the mail. And then ultimately hiring a larger sales force and having more door-to-door salesmen. And of course, word of mouth, because we provided a, a unique service at, um, I would say a great, uh, the best price, but <laughs> no one else was really doing it. So it was a, it was a, it was a reasonable price. So the, the customer saw the value in that. Were you doing the door-to-door selling yourself in the beginning? Yeah, absolutely. So for... Anyone listening that is in a sales position, which almost every job or career or company you start has a large element of selling, what do you think are the most important things to making sales? Asking questions. I think asking questions is the most underrated sales tool that there is. By asking questions, you can find out exactly what someone is either looking for or what interests them. And it's just so much easier to, to find out what somebody wants as opposed to trying to just dump a bunch of crap on them and see what, what they're, what, what they're going to bite on. You, you, could, you could save a lot of time, save their time, save your own time, and, and close sales a lot faster by just asking questions. But not only questions, but it's the right question, really, for the, for the particular situation, what you're selling. Um, and you really have to be careful not to box yourself into a, a corner when asking questions. So, for example, if you walk into someone's office that's not expecting you, doesn't know you, and you say, how would you like to save some money today? They might say, I don't. Get the hell out of my office, you know, because they weren't expecting to see you or meet you or, or anything like that. But if you were to, first of all, connect with the person some way, shape, or form, uh, not come off as a salesperson, and then kind of find a way to provide the medicine for whatever it is that you're selling. So, so for example, propane, if I were to show up 
early on, I'd say, you know, I'd ask if they're the manager, talk to them, introduce myself, and then ask them, let's say, about the propane tanks. Hey, who is it that um, refills these tanks? More often than not, managers are in charge of that. So either they were doing it or directing someone to do it, and they knew the hassle uh, it was to get them refilled. So, um, you know, my angle would be first asking that question and really getting them to tell me about tell me how they went about getting their product. And then I'd say, well, here, I have something way better than that. So it's kind of like they're almost selling their selves because they're describing a problem and now I'm giving them a solution as opposed to me coming out with, hey, you know, you got to buy this from me for X, Y, Z reason. I kind of let them, uh, not let them think, it's kind of just let them realize that they need this more so through asking them the right questions. So are you of the view that I am that, Basically, all selling is problem solution related. Absolutely, one hundred percent. If if you got to be the medicine for whatever it is, what you have to have the medicine for whatever their ailment is, and uh, if you can paint in the right way, you'll easily close sales. I mean, what you're selling will sell itself ultimately. So to go from one account to seven thousand accounts, at some point during that process you needed to hire people and build an organization. Yes. What to you is the best way to hire people that are going to add profit to your business and not suck profit from your business? Okay. So I'll tell you first about the first mistakes I made. So the first mistake that I made was hiring friends of mine because they were friends of mine and they were available, which is like a disaster. You know, I can't tell you enough not to do that. You know, it's like, oh, this guy's got a pulse. He's available. He'll work cheap. <laughs> Bring him on board. It's probably the worst idea you could ever have. Um, I think that first you need to, the first step in hiring a person is developing a list of what is it that you need. So, for example, let's say I need a bilingual person that can, that can sell shoes. I don't know. He's going to have, he's going to need some basic uh, knowledge in selling shoes and I need to know that he's a salesman by nature. You know, you can't necessarily, I, I'm of the opinion that you can't necessarily teach someone how to be a salesperson. It has to be in their nature. And you, you, can, pretty, you can identify this pretty quickly once you, after you've interviewed a few people. They how? just have a different, they have a different character, swag to them, charisma. And, you know, they're very talkative, usually. Uh, definitely not introverted. Um, eager they're usually very eager they're they're more often than not always excited about whatever it is that you're presenting them they can find um they you hand them anything a glass of water and they'll immediately start rambling off why it's good oh yeah people might need this for whatever bullshit reason you might not even have thought of one but they're already thinking of how to sell this thing so that type of personality i would say uh would save a lot of time um but what, back to what I was saying is I need to know what my requirements are, okay, before I go looking for someone. And uh, so Jeff Smart, he wrote a book called Who, and that was an amazing resource for me, um, which I read much later on in my career. And he basically will teach you how to, to create this hiring process, the key things to ask ways to judge and, and rate applicants 
uh, and how to conduct interviews in a way that would help you. Um, but I think it's, the key is really starting off with what it is that you need and not bending um, with requirements. If you need someone who's bilingual, don't just hire a guy that only speaks English because there's no one else. Sometimes it might take two months, three months. It might take six months to get the right guy. You have to be patient. You'll save a lot of time by hiring the right person than hiring 10 guys that are the wrong guys because you'll be retraining them over and over and over and wasting much more of your own time. So I definitely would say starting off is figuring out exactly what you need or what you think you need, what the position needs, and then going from there, kind of backing into it. When you were running your business, how did you know when it was time to promote an employee and when it was time to fire one? So if I'm hearing, if I'm getting a lot of information, uh, negative information back uh, in regards to a department or an employee that always needs help, that's usually a clear indication that the, the job is too big for the person. Um, the, the better employees tend to solve things on their own and you kind of just hear like what happened after they solved everything. Like, hey, this happened, we did X, Y, Z to solve the problem as opposed to someone who's always coming to me for answers. Um, if they're coming to me for answers on a continual basis, it's usually a good indicator that they're not the right person for the job and I need to start looking for someone else. As far as promotion, you know, um, in many cases, people, aggressive people, which are, I dealt with a lot of salesmen, so uh, aggressive people will ask for promotions or they'll seek betterment or the next level or their own department. Um, you'll feel, you'll genuinely, you should feel like, man, this guy's amazing. I can't lose this person. Um, at any stage in a business, when you feel that value, um, you, you would, you'd probably be inclined to say, you know, you want to give this person a raise or give them more opportunity or give them, a, you know, some type of, uh, depending on the industry, a new territory. You'll know. The people who give you headaches, you also know. And, and like I said, if they're, if they're constantly bringing me problems instead of solutions, it's usually a pretty good indication of that they're going to be on the way out. And another thing I would caution against is repurposing people. So a lot of people want to say, like, for example, oh, Jeff is a, such a great guy, but he just sucks at sales. Maybe we should move him to answering phones. If the guy sucks, he sucks. You know, <laughs> and, and more often than not, when you move people from one department to another department, especially if you lower their salary in any way or take away opportunity, potential opportunities from them, they're going to be disgruntled and ultimately cause some type of conflict within the organization. It's going to affect the culture. I've tried this many times. Like I've, there's just great people and you're like, Oh, you know what? Well, let's just give them another shot. And it, it rarely, rarely ever works out. If, if someone's not a fit, they're not a fit. Fire them and restart over. Because if you do that because the person's a nice person or whatever other reason you might have, you're breaking the rule that I just basically stated, which is I'm going to create a list of the right person for the job. So if I'm just getting the guy who's a nice guy, he didn't work out in sales and putting him to drive a truck, I just broke rule number one. Now I'm settling. The guy might be a great guy. He might be the best guy in the world, but 
he, let's say, for example, doesn't have a CDL or 10 years experience driving a truck or um, any hazmat knowledge. Th those are things that ultimately are going to hurt myself because now I'm going to spend time and resources trying to get this guy up to par and something that he might not even want to do. You might give him that other opportunity and then he quits two months later because he's pissed. Or especially if you have to lower their pay, which more often than not, if you're moving someone because they're not working out in a position, you're not putting them in a better position that's making more money. It's usually going to be the same or the same pay or less. It's rarely going to be, hey, you suck at this. Let's pay you more money and put you somewhere else. You know, someone who doesn't work, doesn't work. Cut it and start over. So you're one of the rare multimillionaires that I know that was the 100% equity owner or, you know, very close to that of their business. Almost everyone else I know worked in partnerships or other situations. And so basically you were strategic enough to make all the winning decisions yourself. But when it came time to the profits, how open were you with employees about how much the company was making and how would someone listening determine how open they should be about the success or lack of, of where the company is at? Okay, so I shared, as far as net profit, I would share that with my sales manager, who ultimately became my vice president. I would share that with my assistant, personal assistant. I had, let's see here, I had my collections. My collections department actually, no, I'm sorry. Collections did not know how much profit we were bringing in. They only knew the figures that they needed to be, to be brought in uh, on a monthly basis and the targets that I would set for them. But I would say as far as net profits concerned, there was maybe three, three people, maybe four people who knew exactly how much money we were making. I wouldn't tell, I wouldn't really discuss dollar figures with them. I would discuss units and I'd give them targets based on units and motivate them on units um, for their particular department. And then those units would uh, usually translate into some type of commission or bonus structure for the different departments in the business. So I didn't want them necessarily to worry about how much money I was making or what the company was making. I wanted them to be more focused on their particular sector and what their performance in their sector was going to equate to them making more money or getting more benefits or things of that nature. So that's pretty much how I handled that. And I, I kind of turned every employee into a salesman in that sense. In every single department, I went through and through and I looked for ways to create um, basically a you know, commission program or efficiency programs so that they were all operating in their independent little silos, but commonly working together to, for the benefit of the company, for the overall benefit of the company. And we would have monthly meetings at the end of the month we'd buy pizza for everybody play music all this stuff and then you know announce birthdays and stuff like that and then rattle off hey this department their goal was xyz um the team accomplished whatever and you know we'd give them out bonus checks in front of everybody give them a round of applause and we do that with each and every department which was a very you know the checks weren't as as important as how you made them feel. You made them feel like a part of the team. Everybody's laughing, smiling, congratulations. Next month, I'm going to get double, blah, blah, blah. You know, it really did a lot for the morale and for the culture of the business. Um, that, that's how I motive, motivated everyone. And, and in, in addition to that, I had, you know, 
basketball, Bahamian ring toss, power plates, trampolines, all kinds of fun stuff that the staff could use at any time of the day, as long as they're not spending the entire day there, to kind of blow off some steam. And that was also in an attempt to create the culture and this fun environment and have the employees want to be there and produce. And for their peers to be proud of them at the end of the month when they hit these numbers, um, it, it was just a great environment. It took time to to cultivate and to per, to perfect it, but it's definitely worth it because it turns into a machine which requires less effort from me and steady growth. So knowing your story, you sold the business for a huge exit and now not actively involved in that or really any other business other than real estate, the propane business has been sold. How would you tell someone when is the right time to sell their business? For me, it, it was when it stopped being fun. <clears throat> kind of just wasn't having fun with it anymore. It got too big. Um, I think personally, in addition to that, I had amassed, uh, the company had amassed a value that exceeded what my goal was. So I had a goal for the company, for the company's exit, and which seemed it, it appeared it, it seemed unachievable at the time that I set the goal because it's just it just seemed way too big and I wasn't going to be able to accomplish it. And once I did accomplish that, and I and I and I surpassed it, and coupled with the fact that it just I didn't feel like there was anything else really for me to do, and it wasn't. I wasn't hopping out of bed anymore to run to work. It was more like, you know, send me the emails, tell me what's going on. And when I looked at what the company was worth and what I looked at, I, I kind of felt like it was a gamble at that sense. Maybe for me, it was, a, let's say maybe it was a mistake to sell it. Maybe I could have sold it for double. Um, but at the time I said, you know, all this money's on the table. It far exceeds the amount of money that I need to live my lifestyle. Um, I was already a multimillionaire without the sale of the business. So I said, hey, you know what? Why not sell it and, you know, go hang out on a beach somewhere, do, do stuff that I actually want to do. If I still had the same amount of passion for the business as the, as the early years, I would have kept it 100%. There's no doubt in my mind. But I accomplished what I wanted to accomplish. I exceeded what I wanted to accomplish. And I just wanted to see it all the way through. And um, and that's ultimately for me what made, you know, what helped me make that decision. It's, it's, the same, it's the same tool that I was suggesting earlier with hiring salesmen or anyone else for that matter. You know, I, I backed into the sale. I said, okay, I want to sell it for X amount of number. What do I need? How, how does this company need to function? What numbers does it need to be producing? in order to have this type of exit. I researched the industry, what multiple I would, would need and how I, how I could have the company be worth that multiple and put that plan in action. And like I said, I achieved that, exceeded that. And then once I did it, I said, okay, I got what I want. Let me get out of here. So for someone listening that has a business that they're in, that's working, but they wanted to obviously make more profit, be a larger business. How did they determine which skills that they personally need to learn for the business to be worth much more money and make more profit? 
Okay, that's an interesting question. So there's a, I think there's a couple answers to that. So for me, some of the, some of the, okay, so as far as growth is concerned, I think the first exercise needs to be, where's the gold? So for example, my, my business, we were the largest independent um, barbecue cylinder exchange business in the state of Florida um, for several years before I sold it and, and when I sold it. And at one of my, uh, one, one month when I received my P&L, I was looking at the profits from that sector. Barbecue exchange was one of the sectors. Forklift gas for warehouses was another sector. Residential was another sector. Commercial for restaurants is another sector. So in looking at this, I had deployed maybe 10 salesmen for barbecue gas. And, you know, these barbecue tanks needed to be washed, painted, recertified. You got to put a sleeve over the top of it that tells you, you know, how much gas is in it by weight, all this information. You have to buy a cage, a display cage to put in front of a business. And there's all these resources and there's this gigantic process that has to go in place to get this customer and to turn a profit, which I never thought about really twice. It's like, do this, make some money, right? Well, I never really deeply looked into forklift gas. So forklift gas, if you're looking at these businesses in a side-by-side -side comparison, which is what I was doing at this time, I said, well, geez, you know, this doesn't require any of the licenses. You don't need to wash these things. You don't need to paint these things. You rarely need to recertify them. Um, there was just so much less labor and less expense to get this customer, retain this customer. And you also can't really raise retail prices for barbecue tanks, but you can raise prices on forklift tanks uh, to the end consumer. And more often than not, they really won't say anything because they're just consuming it. It's something that they need and the price isn't looking at them in the face every single day. Barbecue tanks, you walk up to a gas station or to Home Depot and the price is right there in your face. You know, $17.99 or $19.99, whatever that is. So I can't exactly raise, let's say, Home Depot's price to 20 bucks without Home Depot raising their price to 29 so they can make their margin. Now with forklift gas, they're consuming the product. So people might know their price, but many of them really won't. Um, you can get away with a price increase to a consumer, direct to consumer, because they really don't care. So in analyzing this business and seeing, well, you know, I could get a higher margin uh, from this product with a lot less work. Why am I, why am I going after these barbecue customers? You know, like I kind of just thought about that for a second. I said, you know, this doesn't make any fucking sense. And when I really, really analyzed it, I said, well, here I am the largest independent business in the entire state of this product. And I need to stop selling. I need to stop, not stop selling and I need to stop growing it. So I literally held the meeting with all my staff, my sales staff, some and some other key employees. And I told them, hey, guys, you know this thing we do that we do more than anyone else in the state? We're not doing that anymore. We're going to focus on this other product. And everybody thought I was absolutely crazy. Now, fast forward a year later, I doubled profits with maybe a third of the investment that I would have put into growing the barbecue sector 
because of all the things that were involved in it, the manpower, the licensing, the insurance, the washing, the painting, the sleeving. Forklift didn't need any of that. So I just did straight forklift. Buy the tanks. They don't rust because they're made out of aluminum. We're going to put them in play. We can raise prices pretty much whenever we want. And we doubled income with less effort. So I think for, the reason I'm saying this story is every business has this. You know, you, you might be selling cups, straws, and lids. But upon a deeper review, you might say, you know what? All the money's in the cup. People really don't care about straws or lids. But you have to find out what the sweet spot is for you and then focus on that and how to sell that. What during this time period was teaching you to have better business strategy to know what decisions to make? Well, I, I spent a lot of time going to Tony Robbins events, which I think helped me a lot. It, it got me to become insanely curious with and learn things that I did not know. I think a lot of, a very common practice for a lot of people is, you know, oh, I don't know anything about that. And they kind of just go on about their day instead of saying, shit, I don't know anything about that. Let me study it, let me learn it right now and figure out everything there is to know. And um, although I'd like to think that I, I was the latter, I think I was more kind of in the middle. I felt if I had to know it, then I'd go learn it, but not always. And I think that going to those programs kind of really opened me up and made me feel like I had like this feverish, you know, I got to know everything that I don't know um, type of mentality, which helped me a lot. You know, there's a gentleman named Keith Cunningham. He teaches, uh, teaches a four day MBA in Austin, Texas. It's basically, you know, they teach you everything you can get in an MBA in four days. What a valuable class that was that, that basically changed my whole business life because it really opened my eyes to all the things I wasn't paying attention to cultural things in the business financials I mean I came back from a four-day course and I fired my accountant uh, almost immediately I think she I, I started asking her for like a cash flow statement she it sounded like she didn't know what a cash flow statement was <laughs> and I was like dude I just learned this in four days you know you gotta go so I think that that sparked it and um, since then I've just been like you know, if I don't know something, I have to stop and like learn it right now. It's not, you know, if somebody says a word, I don't know, I'll write it down or Google it or it's just, I think that that's something that everyone can do. You just have to put that little bit of extra effort. And unfortunately, a lot of people just don't do it. Um, but that's, that's where it started for me. So, so knowing that I didn't know about accounting or knowing that, uh, you know, I, I couldn't read a balance sheet or um, shit, I don't know, cult. How to, how to improve the culture in my business. It wasn't just like, well, yeah, I don't know how to do that anymore. Now it's like, okay, I don't know how to do that. I have to learn how to do it. I need to learn everything about that that I can learn and then start testing it. For someone that wants to start a business now in current environment, what do you think are the best businesses for them to get into? I would say ne like necessity businesses, commodities, um, you know, I, I think times are uncertain right now. So you got to be kind of careful if you're going to do, um, geez, somebody was telling me about a business they were starting yesterday. Oh, retail. My, a friend of mine was telling me he was starting a retail store. 
and you know he's going to pay this very large rent and i said listen i i don't know if that's i could be wrong i don't know if this is the absolute best time for you to sign a lease on something like that because you're going to get a great deal because of the fear that, that some of these landlords have or it's the worst time because you're not sure what the effects on the economy are going to be going forward uh i'm not worried about the virus because i know there'll be a cure for that and and uh or vaccines and treatment but the effects on the economy due to all the money they're pouring in and the loss of jobs and the changes of consumer spending. Um, I would just say, be careful, make sure that there's a need for the product that you are selling and, or, you know, test, test these, these uh, theories, these business theories before you go balls to the wall and spend all kinds of money, make sure people want what you have, or you have a way to sell, uh, what you have to the consumer and they're responding, not just, Hey, I got this great idea to sell stuff. Let me invest and spend a bunch of money before finding out if I can even sell it. Um, making profit in the early stages of the business, not as important as getting information. Um, and through, you know, split testing and different ads, marketing, and just talking to consumers, you're going to find out a lot of information that, that uh, could be insanely valuable, save you a lot of time down the road. So for closing, what would you tell someone that wants to become a multi-million dollar entrepreneur like yourself? What would I tell them? <laughs> well, it's a pretty broad, it's a broad question. I don't, I don't know how to answer that one. <laughs> um, in what regard? In uh, how do I do it or... Or I'm doing, or I have a business and I want to take it to the next level. Um, narrow it down for me, and I, so I could try to better answer that. So if you, if someone is considering starting a business, or they have an existing business, and they're not yet at the level of being a multi-million-dollar entrepreneur like yourself, why should they put in the time and effort to get there? <sighs> okay, I'm going to answer it in two parts. So first, I'm going to tell you how, and then I'll tell you. Why? Well, actually, I'll tell you why first. If you want to do this, then you should do it. If, if you want to grow the business, if you want to hit to a certain level, if you want to have certain things in your life, um, you should, first of all, know what those things are so that you, you'll know when you, you've gotten to where you want to be. Um, but you really have to want it first. I think uh, is, is very important. You really have to want to do what it is that you're doing. You can't just say, you know, I want to be a millionaire and I'm going to start something and, and make tons of money because it usually doesn't work out that way. It, it, more often than not, it's going to take a lot more work and a lot more brain power and a lot more hours than almost anyone who's never done it thinks. Um, I mean, and that's, all, and that's always the case. The amount of hours that I put in, I mean, you know this, you work insane amount of hours. You probably don't ever really feel it because you're having fun or it's interesting because you like what you're doing um, and you're excited about doing it. If, if you're purely motivated just for the money, it's going to be very difficult because when it gets hard and not fun, that's when all those people will give up. They'll just fall off. They're not going to do it because shit, this is harder. Damn. I don't want to, I don't want to go work when, you know, everyone's eating Christmas dinner or, or miss my friend's birthday party. And the reality is you're probably going to miss some of those events. If you are really putting in the amount of work 
that you need to to build something monumental. Um, so that's the first thing is, you know, you really have to want to do it. And how, how to do it would be, I mean, there's so many answers to that. I'll just rattle off a few. So one would be listen to the customer. I think that's the first and most important thing that you could probably know is if you are not paying attention to the customer's needs and wants and what they're lacking and providing that in an outstanding fashion which meets and exceeds their needs, it's gonna take you a lot longer to get successful. If you can accomplish that, if you can make people happy and continue to make them happy and give them the things they want, you probably really won't even have to worry about your price as much. They'll be really thrilled and your business will grow dramatically. That, that's gonna be, that would be, I would say that's be the easiest way to grow a business by listening to a customer and fulfilling and meeting and exceeding their expectations. How you're gonna do that, you, that you know, that's up to you. It depends on the business that you're in and, and what you're, you're, you're ultimately trying to accomplish. And, and you also have to make sure you're, you're hitting on the right, you're asking the right questions and giving them exactly what they actually want and not what you think that they want. Because a lot of people, unfortunately, they'll, they, they don't know where the gold is. They know where the, the silver is. And they're really meeting needs and worrying about this area. And it really has nothing to do with where the real gold is. So you really have to analyze your business, work on the business, not in the business, and think through those questions, ask a lot of questions, and find a way to give people what they want. Sounds good. Thanks so much for coming on Multimillionaire Secrets in 30 minutes. Congratulations on all of your success, and we'll sure. see you on here again. All right, thanks, Josh.